My name is Christy Hernandez. My family and I have been coming to NBC for almost six years. This morning I'll be reading from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Hi, my name is Audrey Atkinson, and I've been going to NBC for about 17 years, which is just about as long as I've been alive. <laughs> um, I'm going to West Texas A&M University up in Canyon, Texas. That's like six hours away, if you don't know. It's near Amarillo. And I'm studying wildlife biology. Uh, since I've been coming for to NBC for so long, I've really developed strong connections with a ton of people here, um, whether it be the children's in, within the children's ministry or within um, the youth group or just anywhere in the church. There's just so many people that I've had connections to. And it's been a really great um, source for me to, to grow in my relationship with Christ and be able to have um, just connections in like a home outside of my actual home. <laughs> I don't know if you can see behind me, but these are our current uh, youth group buildings. As you can see, they're pretty small. And each year, our youth group is growing and growing and growing, which is really good. And with a new youth group building, it would give new students and current students a place that they could uh, feel welcome and a place where they could just um, come and gather. And it's a secure spot that never changes because like, sometimes we're in the link, sometimes we're out here, sometimes we're in the gym. So it really just depends on where the AC is working. And so if we have a good spot that everyone can meet at, it would really just be great, especially since the youth group has never really had a secure spot or their own space um, the entire time that I've been going here, which is a long time. Hello, my name is Eric Beadle. I've been part of the youth uh, since 07 when we moved over into this wonderful new building. And uh, gosh, since then, our goal has always been to teach the youth the gospel and to give them a solid foundation for the rest of their life. You know, we have been over here in the portables, uh, we started in 07, and uh, since, since that time, we've also met in the gym for a while. We met in people's homes. Um, we've also been in the link. Now we're back over to the portables. And, uh, and over the years, the portables have been great, but as the size of the youth has changed, increased, increased over time, and just the wear and the tear in the portables have been more and more noticeable. Um, and I think it's time that we'll have to make a decision on what to do with the portables. Uh, whether we want to continue meeting in them and uh, trying to make them work or whether we have a more permanent solution for the youth. And I would just invite each of you to pray, uh, 
seek God out and see if you can support um, a new permanent building for the youth. Uh, we'd be excited, definitely about that, of course. If not, we'll continue doing what we've always done. And again, that's just to lay that solid foundation for the youth. So I just invite you to pray about it and seek out the Lord. Amen. All right, yeah. As, uh, Audrey kind of says it like it is, huh, I guess. <laughs> if the AC's working, that summer's been, it's been kind of a rough summer this year and uh, been really tough to kind of, after it's sitting out there, even though we turn it on early in the morning, it just seems like it can never catch up and, uh, and all. So it's been, a, it's been quite, a, quite a chore um, for sure. Um, if you haven't noticed, there's uh, pictures in the lobby about what we're asking you as the church body uh, to vote on. Um, if you have any questions, there's people out there with one of these on. Last week, there were so many people around the table. I wasn't sure if everyone knew who to ask or not to ask. So this week, they're all wearing a little lanyard with, uh, with one of these question marks. So if you have a question, go ask them. If they don't know the answer, they'll at least have a good idea where to go and, and who to ask. If you go outside and you go over here to the portables, um, they laid out kind of an area where the building would be. If you notice, there's cones, there's little signs about where the worship or a classroom might be as well. So please take advantage of that. And then we just ask that you vote. Um, we're just trusting God on this, whether it's yes or no, whatever case may be, we're just asking you to vote. You can do that in the lobby. There's some uh, paper ballots out there where you can go online to our website, where if you're on the church app, you can go there as well to make that vote. And so we just ask that you do that as we seek, um, seek God's will and direction in this way. Um, we're, just, we're just trusting him. So this morning, we're in Malachi chapter 3. We're continuing. We took a little break last week from it, but we're back into Malachi, and we're actually in chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, and probably even as Christy was reading, doing the great job reading that passage, you're probably going, oh, why did I pick this Sunday to be here, right? We're going to talk about the thing that we all love the most. We're going to talk about money, right, and, uh, and possessions and our resources and those kinds of things. I can remember when I was in the restaurant business, um, um, especially when I was in fast food, I can remember <clears throat> numbers of times where I would watch maybe a 40, 50-year-old man just berate like a 16-year-old girl's first job, for some reason can't get his order right, and he just gets upset and he just begins to berate. And I, and I can remember one occasion walking over to the girl because she was now starting to see the tears come down the side of her face, which she did not deserve. And I remember walking over and I just said, hey, go to the back. And I stood there and I said, let me, let me take your order. And the guy's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I go, no, 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 sir. Your sandwich is so important that we're going to make sure we're going to get it right. I'm going to do it myself. And, you know, he kept apologizing. I'm like, no, no, the most important thing in this world right now is your sandwich and we're going to get it right. <laughs> Which I was being very sarcastic and in my own way. And I was definitely in the flesh that day and um, all of those kinds of things, right? But I remember going through that going, why in the world did that happen? Because what I began to realize is that when we talk about food and, and so forth, we're very emotional over food. Food matters to us. Uh, when I went to Village Missions and went up to that church in uh, northern Maine uh, with Village Missions, there were certain rules that we had as village missionaries. One of them was to never talk about politics in the church and, uh, because it's, it's so emotional. Um, the things that we believe, the things that we hold, and we begin to talk about them, there's a, there's a tie to them. 
Well, when you begin to talk about things like our money, our resources, our homes, our possessions, I want you to understand today that I'm very aware of the emotional tie to that. We are, we are private in the way that what we make sometimes, what we possess, what we hold, okay? And so I understand that. I want you to know that up front. I want you to know that I beg God not to let me teach this today. I'm glad there's a few laughs out there. The other ones are sitting there going, well, then don't, you know. <laughs> leave this alone. Let's leave this subject alone. Um, but the reality is, while this is a message in a way about our possessions and our money and our resources, more than that, this is a message about our hearts. And it's a thing that we need to walk away and understand. When we look at the book of Malachi from the very beginning, it is a message of God calling for the heart of his people. At the very heart of God, he is calling out to his people to return to him. In the first we looked at, we saw that, that God was wanting their love. And, 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 and he said, I loved you. How, do you. how do you know I love? How do you love us, God? In what way do you love us? Because I chose you. You are so important that I chose you. I love you. And what does he want in return? He wants love. And one of the other things that he begins to call us out for is, is honor, the honor of his people. Look, you, you give respect to others, but I am the God. I am the great king. Where is my honor? Where is the fear of me? Why do we not honor him? He wants us to return to him because it's a result of our hearts. In fact, to be honest with you, true love does honor, doesn't it not? And if we love our God, we will honor him. God calls for the purity of the worship of his people. That when they come, they don't come with, with sacrifices that are blemished, that are sick, and that are blind. They, they don't come with the best. They come with the least. And that's where he talked about putting the dun on their faces because the picture was that they were bringing him the very least. And if God took the very least of their sacrifice and put it in their face, how would they feel about that? Because that's what they're doing to God and the way that they're treating him. And God wants the purity of worship that when they come to worship him, they're worshiping him with his best. It really wasn't all about the animals. It was really about the heart and their worship to God that they brought to him the very best. God calls for faithfulness within the context of the institute of marriage. That we, before we ever sin against our spouse, before we ever sin against them, we actually sin against God first. Our unfaithfulness isn't about our partner. Our unfaithfulness is about our relationship with our God. Because to be honest with you, those things would not be in our lives if we truly understood God and what he intends and what he's doing in our lives. So when we talk about the book of Malachi, we're talking about a people whose heart was not in the right place. And God's calling for their hearts. He's calling them to trust him. He's calling them to understand the faithfulness that he has towards his people. And also the basic underlining truth is, if God has your heart, he has everything. He has you. God is not going to just be, you know, if I went home today and told my wife I'm only going to be home on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and, you know, the other time I'm going to go live the way I want, you know, how long do you think that relationship's going to last? 
It's not going to last very long, but yet we do that to God all the time. Because we don't understand the reality of what God desires from us. He doesn't just desire our money. He doesn't just desire our service. He doesn't just desire the things that we bring to him because he doesn't need any of them. He desires our heart. He desires that relationship, that intimacy. So as we walk into our passage today, and yeah, we're talking about a message on the money and possessions and resources, but really what we're talking about is the condition of the heart. Let's pray. Father God, just ask today that uh, you speak to us, that Father, even in my own heart, in the way that going through this book, in the book of Malachi, you have impacted me in so many ways. How easy it is to be so casual in our worship, how easy it is to be so casual in the way that we walk after you, in the way that we live our lives in walking with you. We, we, we just kind of grow casual about it. And the reality is, Father, you are the great king, and we're servants. And our hearts and our minds, our very souls need to be in tune with you, what, what you're doing in our lives, how you're setting us apart unto yourself, how you're, how you're developing in us that we might be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And that, Father, we would realize and understand that all of these things that so many times we get distracted with and that cause us to drift away do not lead to righteousness. They are not eternal. They are temporal. But yet, Father, in Christ is eternal life. So, Lord, we ask that you speak to us today. Go past all of my inabilities and sins and my own shortcomings, Father, and speak to us, your people, that we may not walk in darkness, but that we walk in the light of the truth of your word. In Christ's name, amen. So in Malachi chapter 3 and verses 6 and 7, I just kind of want to start there. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your father you have turned aside from the statues and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. I want to stop there for a second. When we begin to look at this passage today, we understand that God is calling for the hearts of his people and he's doing it again. Yes, it's a message in regards to, to resources and money, but on, openly and honestly, it's talking about our hearts because what God desires from his people is a generous heart. Our God is a generous God. He is a loving God. He's a giving God. He's a sacrificial God. He has done much. And in response to him, we need to have hearts that are generous. So as the Lord calls us and he relates this to about money and resources, I want us to understand something up front. That God doesn't do this because he needs it. He owns everything. Is there anything that God needs? Just think about that. Does God need your bank account? Does God need your homes? Does God need your resources? You see, God has given us his word, and what Jesus said underlines really the message of this day. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And here's the truth. This is a truth. Listen to this. 
If the Lord is going to have our hearts, then he needs to be our treasure. And when we stop to understand and we look at these kinds of issues, we have to ask the question, who is our treasure? Because you cannot serve God in money, can you? Because only one will have your heart. You can't give your heart to God and to, to all of your resources and all your possessions. And the reality is, you know, <laughs> one of the things when I was uh, preparing this, I was like, Lord, you know, I mean, today could be a day that one person comes through and they hear us and they walk out and we had somebody write this on our Google reviews several years ago. You know, all this church cares about is money. And I went, yeah, you've never been to our church because we don't even pass the plate. We have boxes back there because we want to trust God. Your giving between you and God is between you and God. You know, it's about your heart condition and God. It's not about your heart condition and me or the elders. It's between you and God. And the reality, when we come to this passage today, the reality is that God needs to be our treasure. If you want to know where your treasure is, look and see where your heart is. If you, want to know, if you want to know where your heart is, look and see what your treasure is. They go hand in hand. The things that matter in your life is where your heart's going to be. But it's a message about God and his calling out for his, the hearts of his people. And why is that? Because I think today, often in today's church, and especially in our culture, one of the greatest hindrances of our complete devotion to the Lord and to his kingdom is the love of money. The lure of materialism, greed, self-indulgence. I know, you never, you never hear people say amen during those kinds of times, right? I'm sorry. I didn't even want to, I, didn't, I, I wrote it out because I didn't even want to read it, you know? But isn't it true? I mean, most of the time that when we find ourselves being distracted in our devotion and our walk to God, that possibly the greatest reason that we don't give ourselves to full devotion to God is that because we love our stuff more than we love God, or at least the same. It's not really about how much is put in the, in the plate or the box back there. It's really about our hearts. Why is that? Because you cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. One is going to have your heart, not both. So if God wants our hearts, he has to address this issue in our hearts. He has to address the issue of what we understand, what is eternal and what is temporal. That we understand that when we're giving to him, not to a building, not to just me or to anything else, but when we're giving to him, we understand the eternal rewards. And the person that doesn't give doesn't understand the temporal possessions of this world. It's, it's an understanding of that. John Calvin in his quote, I think I have it here in our, on the screen. John Calvin said this, where riches hold dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Think about that. You see, this is an opportunity today to examine yourself, 
to look at your heart and ask the question, where is your heart? What is your heart all about? Because where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So when we're looking at these verses in 6 through, through 12, there's really three key statements that are, that are given in this passage. The first one is, return to me. The second one is, do not rob me. And the third one is, trust me, or test me, I'm sorry. I think it's trust me too, by the way, in case you, because you're not going to test God if you don't trust him. Return to me. So in verses 6 and 7, he says, the Lord says, I do not change. I love this statement. That am I God, and we're talking about the character of our God, and we're talking about the heart of our God. He does not change. Theologically, we call this the immutability of our God. And what we mean by immutable is that God is unchanging. In other words, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God is unchanging in his faithfulness. Um, I had um, somebody that um, uh, sent me a voicemail this morning. I've never met him. Uh, Somehow on my father's side, which I never met my birth father, um, Lydia found this guy several years ago. He's actually in prison, came to Christ in prison. And we've been messaging over the years and sharing. He has a pretty uh, significant ministry there in the prison, teaching others about the Word of God. And he sent me a message this morning. It was just, hey, I'm thinking about you, love you, praise God that you're preaching his Word. Just real, real, real simple. And he said, hey, looks like, looks like God is using you. And I, and, I, and I said in my response, God is faithful. And then I went, but God is faithful whether everything's going right or not. Because he's unchanging. He's unchanging in his sovereignty. He's still the king of kings and the Lord of lords forever and ever and ever and ever. He is unchanging in his wisdom. Just as he laid out the foundation of the earth, he is still producing and working his plan according to his ways. He is full of holiness, unchanging in his holiness, unchanging in his power, unchanging in that he is self-existent. He doesn't need our stuff. He is unchanging in justice, in majesty, in his glory, in his loving kindness. He is immutable. He is our God, and he is worthy of our worship to take our eyes off ourselves and to worship the perfect, unchanging God. He is unchanging and perfect every single day. And so what we learn from verses 6 and 7 here is because God is unchanging in his faithfulness, because he is the same and he does not change, therefore Israel is not consumed. That's what he says there in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Why? Because God is faithful. We also kind of see the Lord's heart, too, in verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. He's dealing with the very heart of his people who rejected him and went in their own way and lived their own way. And yet, what does he say in the very next phrase? Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see the heart of God there? That God is still calling his people. That God is still desiring for them to return to him. 
Because God does not change, they are not consumed, but he's still not stopping from calling them back to himself, that their hearts would be changed. The perfect and unchanging God is calling for their hearts. And you know what? Listen, God may be calling your heart today. You may be here today and and the only thing you need to hear, you need to hear this. Maybe you've been drifting from God, going off in your own way, even running from him. And for whatever reason, you're here today and God has a message. He's calling you back to himself. He's like, he's like, he's like the, the father of the prodigal son who's looking and waiting. And as his son comes, his arms are wide open. And he's just, he's just ready to take him in because our God is a God who desires our hearts and he wants us to return to him. But he's a God who's unchanging in all of his glory and his majesty and his sovereignty. And he's not going to turn from who he is in order that we can be who we want to be. He wants us to turn to him and and to give him our hearts that we might actually know his love and his forgiveness and the strength of his power in our lives. You see, some of you may be here this morning, maybe you've never received Christ into your life. God's calling you. Just as God was in his son in this world and his son was in the process of the ministry of reconciliation, calling people to himself to speak of the truth of the atonement and what he had done, to call them to himself. And you know what? He's given us that same ministry. And you may be here this morning and today, I I call you to receive Christ. How long will we go? How long will it be that we will continue to reject the love of God and the forgiveness of God because we won't soften our hearts towards God? How many times do we, does it take that we would reject the love and the forgiveness of God? How patient and long-suffering is our God when he says, return to me and I will return to you. That word return, the Hebrew has the idea of repent. It literally means turn away from your way and turn towards his. What God is looking for, soft hearts. Maybe this morning you just need to soften your heart that you might experience the love and forgiveness of God. I'd encourage you. I'd, I'd call out to you. Please, there is nothing, there is nothing more satisfying to be resting in the work of Christ and understand the righteousness of God, not because of my righteousness, but because of him alone, and to stand before him in humility and to pour out praise and adoration because our God was so merciful towards us, so loving and kind towards us. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts in verse seven. And he says, but you say, how shall we return? Well, man robbed God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have, we ro- how have we robbed you in your tithes and your contributions? It's interesting here, as God begins to look for the hearts of generosity, he says to them, return to me. Well, how do you return to him? And he says, stop robbing me. Stop. The way that the people were to return to him was to stop 
robbing him and to give generously. And specifically here in this context that we find ourselves in Malachi, it's referring to the tithe and the contributions that they were to give. In the, in the old covenant, they were to give 10%. Again, I want us to emphasize, I want to emphasize this. God doesn't ask for this because he needs it. He focuses on the resources of his people because at the heart of this message that he is giving, at the heart of what he's saying to his people is that the hearts of his people are sick. The way that their hearts are sick is that they're sick with greed, materialism, and self-indulgence. And Jesus again says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want you to think for a moment here. He says to them, if you want to return, then stop robbing me. And so what God is saying, you're robbing me. So what does he mean by that? Just think about it for a minute. You have robbed me. So the people were taking what, was belong, what belonged to God, and what were they doing? They were keeping it for themselves. So the context tells us in the tribes and the ties and the contributions that were there were belonged to God. And they were keeping it for themselves. We're not giving it. The tithe in the Old Testament was a tenth or 10% of their produce and their income. And it was commanded by God. In fact, if you go to Leviticus chapter 27 and Numbers 18, you can read the instructions there because what happened was that they were to bring this tithe and they were to give it to the Levites. The Levites were the priests of the tribe. They, they were to take the tenth of that tenth that they gave. So as the offering was given, they take a tenth of it and they give it to the ministering priest, to the, to the, to the work of the Lord. And there's other places where they would do this in a certain amount of time. That's why he talks about his storehouses being full because that would be provided so that the poor would have something to eat, that they would provide for those in, within the community. It was a command that God put on his people to provide and to care for the work of God in their midst. So when God cares about the heart of his people, God is saying to give generously because he knows that if he has your heart, then God has your treasure, that he is your treasure. In verse 9, he says, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. It's not just one or two, but God is saying you're cursed because you're robbing me. You're not, you're not robbing the priests from what is theirs. You're not robbing from the Levites what is theirs. You're not robbing from the poor what is theirs. Who are you robbing? You're robbing me. Again, why? Because what is involved is your heart towards God, the relationship you have with God. It isn't about the, la the vertical, I mean the horizontal. It's about the vertical. It's about who your relationship is with God. That, that God is your treasure. If God is unchanging and he, and he never changes in his faithfulness, will he not be faithful to his people? You see, our, our gifts to him ultimately have to do with his faithfulness towards us. So the question is, do you think your giving matters to God? Yes. Why? Because it is an indication of your heart. 
It's a great indicator of where your heart is. And the Lord knows this. You know, I was talking to the Lord about this, and I was like, Lord, man, I pray, God. I pray that, that your people see this isn't about how much or how little, but it's about our hearts towards him. That, Lord, that they fall in love with you and they understand that you are a faithful God that sustains and keeps your people. That when Israel went into strange lands, that, Father, you went before them. You provided. And the Lord knows this is true because he knows that when our hearts are towards him, he is our treasure. And that when he has our hearts, he has us. And he reminds us of these truths over and over and over again in the scriptures. Why? Because he wants our hearts. There's a quote by Howard L. Dayton Jr. In this, he says, Jesus talked much about money. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses of, on prayer. Less than 500 on verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So God wrote us a book. And one of the major themes of the book deals with where the heart is in terms of money, possession, and eternal treasures. It's always pointing us towards a heavenly treasure for the kingdom of God. It's always pointing us to, a, to an eternal outlook, an eternal looking, an understanding of the truth of God. So the question that we have to ask here, and we should ask, is this is the 10% part of the new covenant. I mean, that's what they had to do in the Old Testament. They were commanded in the Old Testament to tithe 10%. I get that question I have over the years when I'm asked, that question, I don't think I've ever had anyone go, am I required to give 10%? Because, man, I just want to give so much more. God is so great. I just want to give so much more. Usually it's, do I have to give 10%? No, I don't. It reveals our heart, doesn't it? And I'm not trying to be rude here, people. I just wanted God to speak to us as his people because I want his people to have a heart for him. I don't want us walking in here and playing the game and acting like we're all church. We all got our failures. We all got our faults. We all got our issues. But one of those things that God has to do is reveal in our heart the reality of where our heart is. And the Old Testament clearly presents a 10% tie for the people of God. But when you look in the New Testament, it's less clear in regards to a percentage of giving. You can't say, unless you're giving 10%, you're in, you're in sin. You can't do that from the new covenant. It's just not biblical. So the question is, this is really the question that struck me. Do you think in the New Testament, under the new covenant, the expectation is to give less or more? I'm glad y'all did that. Let me cut this part of the... <laughs> now I can move on. <laughs> Actually, when you're looking at the New Testament, there's principles of generosity, of stewardship, and principles of sacrifice that when you, look, when you look in the New Testament, you see examples 
of more than 10%. You see extreme, extreme generosity. I, I think of the widow and the and giving of her mites, right? When Jesus looks at her and he says, look, they gave out of, the, out of their abundance. In other words, it cost them nothing. They didn't, they didn't really need it anyway. It was just sitting over there in the bank collecting interest. And so they gave out of that abundance, but what she gave, she gave all that she had to live on. Now, which one was thinking eternally? Which one do you think understood the unchanging God that we have in his faithfulness? In the New Testament, we see many selling land and property in order to help the advancement of the church. You see, our giving, when we give, it's, it's not about resources. It's about worship. It's about praise to our God because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Jim Elliott, and great missionary that he was, many of you have heard this before. I love this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I've done many funerals. I've never seen anybody bringing their bank account with them into the next life. But I've seen people that I think of, and some that we've even lost recently, who I was just blown away with the impact of their life on so many others for the sake of the gospel, who gave way beyond their means. I'll tell you what, that quote by Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose, that's a kingdom mentality right there. An earthly mentality flips it and says, I, I want to keep everything that I have. Why? Because I want it for me. It's a heart check. It's a heart check right there. The question you have to ask yourself is, would God say you're robbing me? Is God your treasure? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Because you cannot serve God and money. One, only one will be your master. One, only one will have your heart. So return to me, do not rob me. And then the last one in verses 10 and 12. In fact, <clears throat> 10 through 12. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer. Maybe it's the locusts or those that were destroying the crops for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be the land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. He's going back here again to his character and he's saying he's unchanging. He is faithful. Test me. Do you believe in the unchanging faithfulness of God? Now here, I'm going to say this, and may offend some, but I'm going to say this. This is not about the prosperity movement. This isn't that, like, I put this out here and God's going to give me more. That's not what we're talking about. Sometimes, I mean, go read Hebrews chapter 11. There's some that conquered kingdoms and they saw their dead rise from, you know, rise from the grave. And then there's others that were tortured, sawed in two, living in destitute. And, and then it says, of which this world was not worthy. 
This isn't talking about a prosperity movement. This is talking about our hearts towards God and how God will provide for us exactly what we need. And now who are we trusting? That's really the question. Are we trusting in a bank account? Are we trusting in our own resources? Oh, I believe in God, and I'm just thankful he gave me this account over here. Well, is that what he gave it to us for? You have to ask that question of yourself. I'm not telling you anything. I'm just saying, is your heart for God? Because that's what he wants. He wants our hearts. Do you think God is unchanging and unfaithful? I mean, always faithful towards us? Do you believe that? If you do, what do you think God will do with a generous heart? We're not governed in the New Testament by Old Testament covenant. However, but I want us to understand something. That even the practice of tithing of 10% predates even the law of Moses. Remember Abraham coming back and giving 10% to the Melchizedek. When you look in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and probably be getting a little bit of this in the weeks to come, but in chapters 8 and 9, it speaks about the generosity of giving. It says this. I didn't put it on the screen because I wanted you to listen. Listen to this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's, that's New Testament. That's not Old Testament. That's New Testament. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the picture is, is that as you believe that God is the one who sustains you and that God's unchanging faithfulness towards you will provide for you and keep you, that you will sow bountifully that God will continue to work. And but what has God done? I mean, look, I stand here today and I think of all the things that I have. And I, I can sit here and go, man, man, I don't have a lot in this world in this time. Right? But I have so much compared to the rest of the world. And God has even more than that. God has abundantly he's dressed me in the righteousness of his son. He who knew no sin became sin that I might be made in the righteousness of Christ. How can I not give back to my God? How can I not serve him? Why wouldn't I be generous? Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So the question is, where is your treasure? Because understand this, you cannot serve God and money. Why? Because only one will have your heart. You can't divide your heart between the two of them. Only one will have your heart. So where is your treasure? Let's pray. Father God, this morning, I just, I just pray that, Father, you communicate to your people the purpose of the message today is not to get more resources from your people, but rather, Father, that your people may give their hearts to you. That, Father, you would speak to each and every one of us that is here today, even those, Father, listening online. That, Father, you would speak to our hearts, that we would look into our hearts and understand where our treasure is. That, Father, in this world, it's so easy to get used to a standard of living and to the way that we look at things and to just desire more. But Father, what we need to desire is more of you. We need to desire, Father, the understanding, the deep 
truths of your word, to understand, Father, the blessings that you've bestowed upon us, the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus, that, Father, we stand here by your grace and your mercy, and we praise you, O God, that in that day when Christ comes, we will be fallen on our faces in adoration of your Son, of your work, and Father, we, we be moved by our hearts, not, not, Father, in the sense of trying to protect that which is temporal, but, but, Father, we would invest into that which is eternal. And that, God, you would use us, that others might know Christ. God forbid that, Father, we grow so comfortable in our time that we forget that our neighbor next to us is going to hell. That, Father, you've given us a ministry of reconciliation and with generous hearts, we want to share. With generous hearts, Father, that we want to see you use us for your glory and your purposes. Oh, God, speak to us, your people. May your spirit move among our hearts and have its way. In Jesus' name, amen.